Hey guys, this is Mukunda Raghavan. Um, I'm here with uh, Raghu Kumar, a very close friend of mine. Um, and welcome to uh, an additional episode of the Meru Media Podcast. Uh, we don't really have a topic that we really want to delve into today. We're just going to have a kind of a freestyle conversation, maybe about life, music, Hinduism, entrepreneurship, I don't know, whatever whatever hits our mind. Um, and we'll figure it out as we go along. So, hey, Raghu, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, <coughs> tell, tell us a little bit about your background and, and why you want to do a dialogue with me. Well, thank you, Mukunda, for inviting me to my own house <laughs> because yeah, we are recording this uh and it's also like one o'clock in the morning right now so it's we need to kind of keep it down so if i'm whispering it's not because i'm trying to sound weird it but is. It uh is. but it is kind of weird because we're also sitting in a very weird <laughs> area so like, actually this is funny we are sitting in Aragu's kid's room um in like kind of high chairs <laughs> this is kind of funny which is i mean we'll uh, try to we'll try to take a picture of this at some point is that yeah <laughs> and, and and i have a very uh ethnic or what we call quote-unquote ethnic even in india funnily uh, indian shirt one of those like uh kurta shirt kind of things and you know it's uh unbuttoned uh, i can see like indian style like can, i'm, I'm sitting can, on the beach or something i can see a lot of mukunda's chest hairs right now it's beautiful it's a mixture of pepper and black yeah something like that it's but i'm trying black. trying not to look so let's 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 talk about um let's talk about me actually so yeah. i am i am ragu kumar and i i um a i am an entrepreneur basically i um, graduated in 2006 from the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. Um, I'm a huge basketball fan, and I started trading stocks um, at the age of 21. Made some money, uh, went to India, started a company. Long story short, um, I'm basically an entrepreneur. I love building businesses. I'm also really into um, philosophy a little bit. And I'm really into uh, Carnatic music, so that's something that Mukunda and I really kind of um, talk about a lot. So, and hopefully we do talk about that a little bit today. Yeah. So I mean, like Raghu and I, we uh, um, we we go hang out at like a cafe once in a while and just have these weird existential long form conversations that kind of hit upon everything under the sun. So we just thought, hey, why don't we just record one of these for? posterity and if it's good enough we can uh throw it up on the websites or whatever and promote it um but i think it's a good conversation just to generally have um so regular i mean you, what about carnatic music in the beginning kind of interested you or were well, you forced into it by your parents i was i was forced into it and i think that's actually one of the things about carnatic music where it's not something easy to kind of just start listening to um due to the very kind of technical nature of it and kind of complex nature of its music. Um, so yeah, I was basically basically forced into it by my parents at a pretty young age, um, at the age of eight. And uh, I started learning the violin, actually. Um, and uh, what happened was, at the age of eight, um, my hands started to sweat a lot. So um, I had a hard time kind of playing an instrument and sweating. So then I kind of, um, you know, kind of crossed over into vocal music and I learned vocal Carnatic music for a few years and gave a few concerts and then, but I was never really very good. And then I kind of stopped singing, but I've always been a huge fan of Carnatic music. And I just love how it's so, 
um, just so um, the, 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 there, there's just so much history and and everything in it, you know. And it's, it's almost like the more time you actually listen to it and you you know really kind of try to study you know the the history and you know the compositions and how the composers were inspired by different ideas and themes you you realize like it's just so heavy and um so it's just amazing you know and and, and the aesthetic nature of the music is it's unbelievable it's so i mean it's all um I think that's interesting. Um, but I think like part of this is what I find interesting also about the background, which you didn't touch upon is you said you started at eight and the funny, I mean, it's not funny, but I know your background is like you're born in France, moved to Canada, moved then to, I guess, Southern California is where you started your music training, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, so I, I was, I was, I was born in India, but I basically grew up in France. Yeah. And, uh, started learning in Canada. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, I guess it's pretty, pretty normal for most I, I would say it's not even like a, a Tamil Brahmin or South Indian Brahmin thing anymore it's more of like a South Indian thing I think where where most South Indians or many South Indians kind of start off learning either Kanonic music or Bharatanatyam or some sort of um, in like South Indian art form to connect with our culture um, but I think that's also because it's difficult to to speak like your native tongue here in or any part of outside of India, right? And um, so, I mean, with the Carnatic music, it's, I, so, like, for me, I learned Carnatic music, I think I was starting at, like, I have to say, like, seven, seven, eight, mm -hmm. I, I, right around the same time. But funny part is because I was a, a very rambunctious, crazy child. Um, I would run around and um, create a lot of racket after, after like, five years old. Um, my mom put me into Bharatanatyam for like a year and a half, uh, which I learned um, from uh, Viji Prakash. And I, I think she said at one point in her life that I'm one of the reasons why she didn't teach a, a boy again for a long time. Because um, apparently I used to go around and like annoy all the women and all the So students. the question now is obviously... It was like Krishna on the gopis. Is there a video that exists? I, I think there's a video of me doing dance somewhere. I, I don't know where it is, but uh, yeah. So I learned Bharatanatyam for a while, and then um, Karnak music. I you know I learned for probably like I'd say six years until probably like like twelve or so, and then I stopped. And then because um, I got really anti-Indian for a while, right? So I didn't like like anything Indian for at least I'd say between like somewhere between thirteen and like sixteen or seventeen. And then I started learning Karnak music again. I learned it again from like I would say probably sixteen years old maybe 15 16 to maybe 21 22 again and i studied a year in india under uh radha venkatachalam um who was a student of tr subramaniam who was one of these mm -hmm. amazing musicians who got a i think he was like a Bharatratna and he's had a bunch of uh awards um but in the u.s i studied under uh, a few people until my first major guru was a uh, uh, Rosemary Krishna, who was a student of MLV and um, that that money. So it's interesting with with Carnatic music, it, and and this is actually true with Hindustani. Is the music itself is broken down into traditions of probably people that have been around for the past 150, 200 years. Most people they trace it to uh, they claim almost all musicians claim nowadays that they their their lineage stems somehow from Thyagaraja. You know, who was probably in the yep. 1700s, late, I mean, uh, 1800s around that time. So yep. um, it's, I, I'm sure m most people don't, but that's what they claim. Um, and so uh, 
my music style would be different from Ragu's, who is I I, I, I think who is she the student of? Yeah, so I've learned from many teachers, um, but when I grew up in Canada, in Ottawa, Canada, I learned from uh, Janani Ganesh, um, but I don't know her lineage. But but after that, the teacher that I had in Ottawa was Bala Mami, and she's actually a disciple of DKJ Raman. Oh, so, nice. So, you know, as a kid, like, you don't know these things, and you just kind of learn, and then later on, you kind of look back, and you're like, oh, wow, you know, that's kind of cool. Um, and then later on, I came to L.A., and I learned from Padmakuti, and that was, you know, unbelievable. She's she's actually a disciple of a, a guru in, or a singer in Kerala, but I, I don't know the, the name. You know, I um, think it's, uh, I don't know if it's good for our teachers to say their name, because... Maybe that's maybe right. we're not that good. <laughs> we that's have a very right. bad influence on, yeah, that's right, on that's people right. listening. But anyways, you know, that's like, right. That's right. Uh, yeah, we, but, but then, you know, it's a. Yeah. <laughs> I think music really learning Carnatic music was when I really got into it. There's such depth to it, right? Like right. where you know, I it's funny. I was having a conversation with someone um, uh, like two three days ago about how like m- a lot of pop music today, right? You know. Um, hundred years from now, people are not going to remember these people, right? And this is—it's not—it's not to say their music isn't good, right. but is it—is it lasting to the time, right? Like for example, like we're nine—we're in two thousand eighteen now, you know, what's the big songs we know from nineteen eighteen? You know, like in in Western music. I mean, there's some things we do know, like classical. You have like we know Beethoven, Mozart, you know Wagner, and all these guys that have like this history of creating an entire school of music that is universal in some sense they touch upon elements that are deep in human emotions and experience right and but when i was telling uh, my friend was a lot of modern music um whether it's indian or uh western or whatever it is um is is very relational to a culture a time and a place right they're talking about their experiences maybe their experiences are universal but they're couched in such a language that's difficult for people outside of that cultural experience to really understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, you know, with Carnatic and, and Hindustani, too, it's... I mean, Hindustani isn't as focused on the, the lyrical part, you know? It's very much more focused on the um, the inherent music, right? The, mm-hmm. the alapanas and the... And the, um, and, and, and the main composition, but they're not... The meaning isn't as important as it is in Carnatic, because... Kanonic is very lyric heavy and there's a like a pretty for the most part a pretty stylized format which is you know you have a song is is composed of like you know a Pallavi which is your right. your chorus line I mean I guess right. you call it that yeah, and your Anu Pallavi yeah. which is a like a, the first real part of the song and then the Chadaram which is the rest of the song right mm-hmm. so and then um, it's, it's very formatted um, mm-hmm. which is why it's much easier to compose in Carnatic I, I would think like a full-flown song over mm-hmm. in Hindustani. But again, I could be wrong. I'm not an expert in Hindustani. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of... That's a problem too, right? Because many times with Carnatic and Hindustani, you know, um, it's almost like you have two schools, you know? I mean, they and, are schools. <laughs> and, and, and they are schools. And, 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 and you know, so the, the, the crossover many times just doesn't happen organically because you, you just aren't exposed to the other you know music school as much and then there's also a lot of you know um unnecessary kind of you know clashes or whatever you want to call it 
so but that's changing you know I think I think a lot of artists are collaborating now and and you know a lot of my friends in Chennai are just are just so open to you know not just collaborations but like just you know even even questioning things you know on a very fundamental level and just being very open with you know uh with 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 how they express their views and just being very transparent and and their social media and everything you know so it's 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 really great i mean that's the I, i wouldn't say the problem but one of the one of the inherent features of a tradition is that it does become very um stagnant right i mean i don't i mean stagnant's not the right word i would say very stratified in the sense that it's it's a fossilized in some ways right people find a tradition to be sacrosanct to the point of any change to it is seen as violating the tradition mm-hmm. um and you know while there is some truth or importance to that because i mean this is i mean and this can connect to things like even like when we go talk about the the schools and the vedas and, and the rituals is there are schools attached to them. There are certain formula, a certain right. way that these things are passed on. Right. And it's important to maintain that because once that's gone, the the importance or the symbolism and the esoteric meaning kind of just kind of goes away with it, right? Like, right. I think, I mean, one of the things that I don't know if this is the case today in chronic music um, is do the singers actually even understand the lyrics in terms of uh, the language because half the time like most people probably well, don't speak well Telugu. many times they don't speak the language right um, but so you know I, I, th- I think the the easy answer is is no you know they they don't know many times um, they they don't really know what what they're singing but you know based on my conversations and, and obviously I'm not a, a musician so but, I mean, we know, are, but we're but super amateur. Like we're just, super we're amateur. just, we're just, you know, very, very basic. You know, it's like amateur asterisk. Um, yeah. And you know, it's like a questionable amateur it's status. Basically, like intramural. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Intramural musician. Yeah, it's like it's like you know pre amateur. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's um, yeah. I don't know. You know, it's. I think it's just an open thing. So I mean, it's interesting. I mean, the reason yeah. I, I bring that up is, like, for example, like you know songs right like um you know for example even like a song like you know jenanina nubina and right right you know the song is inherently about begging mother you know like uh without you you know i'm nothing whatever right so i'm I'm sure most people learn the general meaning of the song but the difficulty i think comes in like for example that song is written in telugu where do you break up the words to actually create the well no i think i think i think the the artist that that are really kind of careful about their craft they they do care about that like you know um i'm thinking about my good friends in Chennai. i know for a fact that they they do care about where they break up the words and making sure that you know what they say is you know pronounced correctly and, yeah. and all that but as far as the understanding i'm not sure you know so i guess that would be the follow-up question is, yeah do you think the understanding of the lyrics is necessary to convey the the underlying emotion or the what's known as the bhava of the song, right? You know, you know, someone like MS Subalakshmi, who's yeah. considered the nightingale of India, she passed away I think in like two thousand seven or two thousand eight. I'm sorry if I forget the exact date, but um, she, you know, she was known for her bhava. Like her songs right. can can cause people to fall to tears right now what i don't I, i'm pretty sure that she knew the meaning and she knew languages where she's saying some yeah. of them not all of them obviously yeah um but i think part of that could be the how she conveys it 
Yeah, and that allows her to to <clears throat> sing that song in a way that conveys that underman, underlying bhava, the you know the the sentiment of the song, the sure. feeling, or what's known in in earlier Sanskrit texts as rasa, right? You know, the, right. The underlying emotion, right? There's right. there's never rasas, <clears throat> nine rasas. But do you think that matters um, to know the language to convey it, or so, no? Or is music universal? It doesn't um, need the language. I, I do think music is, is universal, and I think even the question has to be, you know, kind of questioned because, um, like, a composer has a certain meaning in mind and a certain emotion in mind. Um, does that same emotion have to carry over to the listener or to the or to the artist? You know, um, so everything is subjective in nature, and so so I feel like you know, as a composer. You obviously know what you're trying to say, and you express it through music, right? So it's almost like the funnel is changing, and so that shared funnel can be shared by anybody through that composition. Um, and so they can, you know, they they can they can soak in that music, and they can they can you know internalize it in their own way, and they can even you know listen to the music and express their emotions in in a completely different way than the composer intended, you know. So. I think it really kind of depends on on how how much of an importance you place on the lyrics themselves. You okay. Know? I mean, I I think for for me, I tend to think that if you want to listen to the music just for the music, that's that's good, that's fine. But part of it is like the lyrics matter, right? They're trying to convey something, right? And they and this is well, the this is the part that's important yeah. in Indian music is yeah. you pick a raga mm-hmm. based upon what you want to convey. Um, in many ways, I mean, North yeah. India is a little different. Yeah. In the North, Hindustani music, the ragas are broken down into time of days, but they still, but they still, at some level, are very rasa based. They right. they totally have a rasa to them, right. which is you know, to those people listening, rasa means essence, right? So, or or flavor or taste or whatever you want to call it, right? Um, I think that's where you get the term rasam also in Tamil. It comes from Sanskrit rasa, <laughs> um, which is you know flavor, taste, essence, whatever. Um, so. And and Russum is super tasty, so it I, is. I, I, that, that's that's a apt uh, application of that term. <laughs> but when the lyrics, along with raga, create that rasa, the mood, right? You know, they they create like to sing some. And I don't want to sing right now. Your neighbors might get up, but some other time we can record. When you sing a certain raga, you do get emotional responses to it, right? Like right. something oh, like sure. like an Adabi might be more uplifting and yeah. and gets you going. Well something like a Danyasi is a little more solemn and then you have yeah. something like a, a Tana that's like a what's the they call a gumbita, right? Which is like a very right. it's like a almost like a in, in Sanskrit they would call it Shodya, which is in the Rasa Shodya, which is this sense of valor, this power, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. or they call it Vidya Rasa, you know. Um, but I think the raga itself brings the element of uh, the bhava rasa uh, into it, but the lyrics actually amplify it to almost a transcend transcendental level, mm-hmm. right? Once you understand mm-hmm. it and you understand, like even the song, like you know, um, the Agaraja sings in again. I'll bring a brief thing. Like that's one of my favorite ragams. Yeah. Is nanu vidachi karuna. Sure. Right? That's a like once you know the meaning of that of that song. It, the beauty becomes more and more amplified. Yeah. Right. You know, when when you sing like Rama 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 Rama, it's like this sense of like longing, this this desire for seeing someone that you haven't seen and you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think there's in in music, for me like that 
matters. Yeah, yeah. Deeply. And, and some people have different opinions on it. But. Well, I also think, you know, as a musician, I'm sure musicians think about this and they think about, you know, how else can I optimize my craft, right? So if I want to take it one step further, maybe I should take the time to understand the language, you know? Yeah. And if you think about, you know, musicians like Balmurli, they... Oh, yeah. They, they spoke the language at home. Right. So I'm sure that gave him an edge I mean, you know, really in was... terms of his stage presence, in terms of like what he felt on stage, you know, everything, right? I, I mean, mean like, it has to help. I mean, with, I mean, you bring up Balamuli, who is, I think, one of the greatest musicians that ever, ever graced this yeah. planet, right? You know, yeah. And this guy was, you know, for people that don't know Balamuli, Krishna is a South Indian, Telugu, near the border of the Tamil Nadu and Telugu in, in that region, or on the Pradesh or right now maybe it's Telangana I don't know um, but he was born in that area um, he gave his first concert at something like three or four years old yes. uh, it's insane right and he played like he played the Murdangam which is a, a, a drum he, he played like the everything. viola he sang he, he sang. composed ragas he yeah. composed compositions he's so brilliant he yeah. spoke I mean he he, could, he knew Sanskrit Tamil Telugu Hindi yeah. Kannada like he he knew these languages so when actually one of the things when i used to want to learn the actual lyrics of a song even if my teacher taught it to me i would listen to balamuli's version of it because mm-hmm. balamuli what we say in tamil spashtama you know like you say it in a in a very clear and right. and and um pure way and you can hear that in the yeah. music right he breaks the word yeah. where it needs to be broken right. so it doesn't create a, uh, an opposite meaning right? right like listen to him sing that song sujana jivana in kamas right okay. it's one of the most, um, I think, like, out-of-body experiences you can have, along with those Kalyani, mm-hmm. that, you know, yeah. Sundarini. Yeah. I mean, because he, he, he understood it, and and he conveyed it beautifully. And he was one of the few artists that actually, like, transversed both the classical and the film side, right? Yeah. So he has this... Well, he didn't do too much film. Yeah, he did. He did? Yeah, like, for example, oh, wow, okay. you, you, might, you might not know the song... Again, I think I've heard you sing. So yeah, so <laughs> that song is he sang that. He's very he's famous for a host of songs. Okay, and he acted in movies at that time too. He played Narada a lot and sang. And um, he composed music for a lot of movies, uh, a lot more of like um, like I think he composed music for this movie uh, called Shankaracharya about Shankaracharya mm-hmm. of of, uh, of of you know of infamous fame. Of course, um, and then he composed music for a Ramana Jacharya movie and stuff like that and he's really I mean he, he wrote this and he was I think he was the first person he wrote this song called um, uh, Sakala Gana Sakala Gana I forget the rest of the lyrics oh, my bad but it was basically uh, um, a song that had three gods that he praised first was Ganesha Hanuman and then Krishna Oh wow! Yeah, so that song was written Arabi. It was Arabi, so he has that, and he, he created a he created ragas with like three yeah. notes. I mean, it's just amazing how like you know guys like that are just they just kind of come out of nowhere, right? Like and he wasn't very well like, educated. Like, like by the even way. even within Carnatic music, I mean, you have a lot of musicians, and then you kind of have like a certain musicians who just kind of come out and they just establish themselves as being different and. It's not just music, right? It's like it's also in sports and it's in any kind of, um, you know, domain where you have a lot of competition and you just have a outsider who comes from nowhere. Um, and but I just love that. But it's know? not an outsider. The thing is like, well, I mean, with music and sports, the unique thing is at least, I mean, I'm not going to talk about 
uh, pop music. I'm not that. I'm not that like well uh, acquainted. We can with it. we can keep it. We can keep but, it uh, cultural. Yeah. But like when you talk about like a classical music, whether it's Hindustani, Carnatic, um, classical Western, yeah, it's like a sport in the sense that you, when you're out there playing, yeah, what you're playing, the instrument you're singing, your song, that performance right there is everything that's about you. Right. right, like your flaws come out there, yeah. Um, and like if you screw you're up, completely vulnerable. You're to to totally everything. vulnerable. So yeah, there's completely. a level of, 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 of respect and yeah. courage. I mean, respect we have to give to them to even come on that stage. Yeah. To to, to present that right. You know, a lot of music today is much more like you probably have a lot of electronic um, um, aids right. to 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 help your voice or help right. this that whatever. Yeah. But when you go to classical right. Indian music and in classical, even Western music, that's all your freaking voice. That's you, yeah. or you, that's your instrument playing. Yeah. You're not, yeah. you're not filtering it through. You're, you're not taking out the vulnerabilities yeah, I mean, you, can, you, you have. You can take performance enhancing, you know, drugs and all that. But <laughs> I mean, ultimately, you're you're just completely vulnerable. And you know, like, and, and we've talked about this, but you know, sports is just, it's it's amazing how you know you can use sports as like this analogy to to life, right? Because it's all about competition it's all about like you know teamwork and it's all about like you know like being you know uh driven for the right reasons and and i love that about sports and so when i come across people who who don't like sports you know um i just kind of scratch my head i'm like well that's that's me and and that's basically you know the guy who's sitting across from me right now i don't watch sports so for (laughs) most people like that that that, you know it's i'm not a big uh watcher of sports i used to play a lot when i was younger right you know like uh, i played football for i guess one of the top schools in america american football not that i was very good but i was uh I, i was able to compete so to speak and get bashed around um and then i you know i played uh basketball for most of my life you know worked out ran all that stuff so i've been very competitive otherwise like i still once in a while will play it's been a while but um i'm pretty athletic i just don't don't really watch sports because it's like it's for a concert yeah so i'll tell you the difference for a concert i can be there and just be there and enjoy the music for what it is a sports is a spectacle that revolves more about the team, the team's winning streak. The there's like this weird emotional journey. It's like a soap opera of some sorts that plays out across you know for a season and then multiple seasons and whatnot. For music, it's just you're there in that moment. That's true. You're not thinking about okay, what's that next concert going to sound like? What's what's that next song going to sound like? It's boom. It's just that visceral, the emotional the, connection. The outcome is the event itself, right? Yeah. Like. It's not like there's a storyline. No. Yeah, so I see what you're saying. Well, the storyline itself is the concert, right? Right, right. But it's, it, I mean, like in, in, a, in a game, you might not be as, like if you watch so, a sports yeah. team, you might not be as involved yeah. in the sports team if the game didn't matter. Right. So the analogy to, to then, to, to, you know, to, to music would be if someone doesn't like music. And amazingly, I, I actually came across... I think that's the funniest thing. It's like it's like when people say, you know, I'm a foodie, and you're like, okay, so you like food. Who who the hell doesn't like food? It's no, but <laughs> well, it's not about like not liking music, but it's more Everyone about not music. liking the idea of pursuing music. Okay, so that's actually it's it's, it's different. Okay, it's different, but. But, but everyone but, likes listening to music. No, but let's talk. Yeah, Whatever so music guess, they want to listen to. Yeah, you're right. You're Whatever right. music they want to listen to, they yeah, like yeah. listening to it. But then let's talk about um, you know pursuing music, right, as like a profession. Now, neither of us is a full-time musician. No. 
But the question is, you know, if your if your kid is in school, right? Does it make sense for them to pursue something like Arnautic music? Yes. And and, and well, well, you have a kid, so you you can talk. Yeah. So you know, that. I can I can relate to this, and I know for myself that definitely by being exposed to music, I've been kind of forced to kind of activate the you know the left side of my brain right because that's the creative side um and it just right kind of, of your brain. or the right side whatever the 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 the, the, the right creative side. side right so all that's um, i mean when neuroscience it, it is the more creative side it's not all the creative <laughs> side but you know well in my case i i think it's it's the creative side and uh and yeah so you know it, it definitely activated that for me and so i feel like in my case i'm gonna have my kids definitely perceive music but i came across you know basically like an indian uncle right and he had put his daughter you know in in carnatic music and uh and and i and he's probably going to listen to this and he's a great friend of mine um but you know i basically you know we were talking about you know whether it makes sense you know to to put kids in carnatic music because he had put his daughter in carnatic music and he felt like he had put her through all these classes and it was like a punishment to her and ultimately you know she could not get accepted into the kind of colleges that she wanted to get into um okay and now, so i'm gonna go on this you know, rant from, right now okay, yeah so, sorry, okay no. all right so so the thing for me is um okay so <laughs> music and learning music has its own inherent inherent good right you know as we can call it which which is simply Look, I didn't like music growing up. I didn't like going to Carnatic music class when I was a young kid and learning, whatever. And a lot of people don't like going to dance and they don't like going to these things. But there's a lot of things as a kid you just don't like because it, it takes away from that momentary happiness you have when you're doing something else, right? Some some kids are very, very tuned in to what they like and they're very they're focused on it. Most of us are not. But that base of learning, I yeah. wish, I wish, I wish I did more when I was younger. Yeah. Just to have a better expertise. But to your point about this uncle, I, I get his position, but, and, and this is something I had a conversation with someone else about recently, is we need to stop, focus, as a society and as people, stop focusing on things that only allow us to make money or to build our career, quote-unquote, or jobs or whatever. Career and job, we have to recognize, is a base level of just being able to bring some sort of money or security to your life to live it right yeah, you know yeah. like but music art dance sports um re intellectual endeavors yeah. uh, social social interactions this brings value to our life yeah this yeah. is what makes it worth living yeah. and and something like when, when an uncle says you know oh you know she didn't get into the college she wants that's fine yeah that's fine exactly. because you know what Maybe that that experience five ten years from now that knowledge of music is going to make her feel happier. Exactly. Because I, mean, I can tell you there'll be nights where, you know, we all go through depression and ups and downs in our life. Where the one solace in my life was I put on some really beautiful classical Indian music, um, and then like if I know the words I will sing, or else or I want to put the music I'll just sit and sing, put the Shruti box on, and sing for you know forty five minutes an hour and and. You get your emotional. Yeah. Not only do you get your emotions out, but you build your strength internally. For sure. And and I think that's something that. Um, and it's also like you have to important. think about you have to think about your brain, right? Like, I mean, it's it's just been shown that we we really don't understand our brains very well. No. And when it comes to music, I mean, 
I know from myself, I know from musicians, you know, f- from from their perspectives and what science says that music impacts the brain in a positive oh, way, right? And and I'm sure that it's like impacting it in, in a much probably stronger way than we probably even realize. Um, and it's also like you know, like what's what's wrong with what's wrong with it, you know? I mean, but, um, but I think it, it comes up like, I mean, the point you make is very important, and I, I just want to touch upon there's so. I'm going to bring in the side. There's a movie in in I think uh, in Telugu was originally made, um, probably 1978, 1979. The name of the movie is Shankaravaram, and then it, it they remade it into Hindi as I think it's called uh, Sagar Sangam. I forget if I, I think it's that, um, but I, I can't. I don't maybe not. Um, but Shankaravaram that movie was. I mean, if people get a chance to watch it, it's in Telugu. Um, it Shankara Burnham means um, it, it is a name for Shiva, um, and it's also a name for Raga. Uh, I mean, Shankara is a um, Shankara, you know, is God, is Shiva, and 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 Baranam in in this sense is like the jewel or or the the jewel crest of Shiva or something like that, um, and. Um, this movie, I mean, I, I watched it from a young age, and the import of this movie was the most beautiful thing that stuck with me for a long time. It's just, you know, music is not just something you listen to, especially this classical tradition that we're talking about. It is in some ways like life essence of people, right? This is, people have devoted their entire existence yeah. to the beauty of music. And there's and the thing is, in, in the Indian system, which is somewhat different than the Western system, music is called nada, right? Which is sound, right? It, it means sound. Um, and, and it's connected to what later thinkers call nada Brahman or the the god. I mean, I, I, hate, I hate to use the word god for Brahman, but Brahman or the, the, the being of sound, right? Which is, which is all things. Music was a way to connect to the divine, and to build, um, uh, like a basically a, a a one-to-one relationship with them. It's a way you 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 touch and you feel and you in, you experience the divine, right? You know, you know from from the time of Canonic music, starting from Puranda Puranda Dasa, who used music and he created the Canonic system. Um, to one first is teach people about about Madhvacharya's philosophy, right? Which was Dvaita back in the day. Um, and, and to expound the 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 love for Vishnu, uh, you know, bhakti for Vishnu. And secondly, he used it a lot, a lot for social up, uh, upliftment. A lot of his songs, if you ever listen to Purandasa and the entire, the Dasa lineage, right? So it'd be like him, Purandasa, Kanaka Dasa, Vyasara, Tirtha, you know, all these people that wrote in Canada, mostly in Canada, they would talk about about the obligation for us human beings to help out our other human beings, social mm-hmm. upliftment mm-hmm. of all people, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they would say things like, you know, uh, you know, what's the difference between a Brahmana and a Shudra and this and that? You know, under God, we're all one. What does it matter? You know, um, and, and that's a song actually by Anamacharya called Brahmokate, God is one, right? Uh, you know, uh, uh, Brahman, which is supreme being, is one. Okate is one, right? And then he swings out. He's I forget the line. It's something like Chandala Brahman, um, connecting the two. What does it matter when we stand before God? We're all the same. You know what? Mm-hmm. All that matters is 
we live our life together. We we care about each other. We engage with each other, and whether you're you're rich or poor or whatever it is, all this doesn't matter. Right. Because the the goal of everyone is to to reach some level of anandam, which is bliss. Right. It's not the same thing as happiness. Happiness is is uh, you know um, you know sukha in in Sanskrit sukha anandam is different. Sukha means something. More like, okay, I'm elated at this point in my life. Like, oh, something happened to me. Yeah, I'm happy. Yeah, yeah, I won the football game. Yeah, I'm good. Like gratification. It's not just gratification. It's a sense of like your emotional happiness, right? Anandam or bliss okay. is this sense of constant being at not just peace, but something beyond happiness. Is it like fulfillment? I mean, no, no. There's another word for that. This contentment is something else. Um, but they say on them because it'll be like the state in deep meditation and I know I know you meditate mm-hmm. so when you get to that state of deep meditation mm-hmm. there's a sense of it is a sense of bliss mm-hmm. where you don't feel you don't feel happy you yeah. don't feel sad yeah. but you feel something wow yeah. it's just it's just beyond yeah. explanation in many ways sure yeah. and that's what they call Brahman it's basically like I mean for me you know I've been meditating a lot you know for the past couple of years and you know, it started as a practice because my dad used to meditate, you know, my entire life. You know, he used to have this practice of going to his own, you know, room and closing the door. And, you know, he had his own meditation chair and he would sit down and he would do his thing. And it was like this mysterious kind of thing that he did. We never questioned him or asked him any questions. And he'd never tell us, you know, like what his yeah. mantra was. Um we just always refer to it as TM, you know, which is Transcendent. transcendental meditation. Yeah. Um, which, which, which I think Mahesh back did, then yeah. was kind of really popular, and a lot of people the Beatles were, did it. The Beatles did it. Um, I think Jerry Seinfeld is a huge proponent of it. I think someone else, uh, David Lynch. A lot of people yeah. are into TM, you know. So, but it was just this thing where I always thought it was really weird, you know. It, it was almost like one of those things where. It was, I associated meditation with like, you know, my, my parents and like a different culture. Um, and then later on, I, I came across so many people, right? So Phil Jackson, right? So Phil Jackson, when he coached uh, the Bulls and the Lakers, he, he used a lot of meditation to to inspire, you know, all the players every day. And, and then Kobe Bryant talks about, you know, meditation a lot. Michael Jordan, you know, they individually talk about it, you know, Oprah and then... You know, a, a lot of these guys like Tim Ferriss, sure. you know, um, so it's, it's amazing. Sam Harris. Sam Harris. And, and, and it's proven, right? So then it's more like, why wouldn't you do it now? I also know that it's it's not for everybody. So, I mean, but, um, but here's the thing. Meditation comes in different forms. That's right? true. That's like true. The med- one meditation you can do is your mindfulness, which is you focus on your thoughts. Right. Other one will be like a mantra meditation, mantra dhyana where you um, do concentrate on the mantra and you focus on the mantra. Very similar effect. Um, the Gregorian chanting they used to talk about, uh, they didn't test. Um, it, very similar neur- neural state to a lot of uh, mindfulness. But again, touching it back to music and touching it back to this movie Shankaragarna I was talking about is, the point of that movie was, you know, music itself is known as what's a sadhana, a path, a, a practice that people do um, to to connect or to build a tradition, right? So music itself is a meditation, is a mm-hmm. meditative discourse with not only, in some ways, like if you sing by yourself, it's a meditative discourse with yourself. 
in other ways, it's you're with you, the audience, right? It's yeah. it, it's it's your what you're saying is I'm bringing out this feeling, this connection that, that if you engage with me on this, we can get to a place together where we are in the same. We're not talking, but we're yeah, communicating. For sure. We're communicating on, on, on some deeper level, right? Yeah. yeah. It, can, it can be emotional, like whatever, what are you going to say? But the point of this movie, Shankara Bardem, was so the main character, so the story is this the main character, um, he was um, a musician, you know, like a huge musician in the 50s and 60s. Everyone loved him. They thought he was an amazing Karnataka musician. And then the 70s come more than you. In India at this time where you had like disco and all of a sudden the music come in. And then like his career took a trajectory, like a downward turn. Everyone loved him before. Now everyone's like, oh, he's just a traditional guy. Yeah. He became a popper, right? And then so what he did, he still practiced every day. And music for him was every day. But no one wanted to learn from him anymore. And um, someone he taught before the story was she belonged to a caste community called Devadasi mm-hmm. in which they were basically like um, prostitutes in some way mm-hmm. right and not all of them but this particular community was so she learned well she didn't learn from him she used to go um, to all his concerts and um, what happened was uh, she was she was to be her first night as a prostitute like her mom forced into it she ran away from it and then like he gave her like protection and then, and then she loved the music and was there. And she treated him like a like a teacher, guru. Mm-hmm. Mother comes back, takes her, calls him names. He doesn't say anything. Um, and then she takes him back, and then she, she ends up having being basically raped. And at which point, she kills the person that rapes her. Wow. Um, but she becomes pregnant after, and she runs away out of fear. Um, so, wow. so during this period after she gives birth, that's the period of time where his career took a trajectory downwards because no one wanted to listen to kind of music anymore. Got it. And he's still doing his practice, whatever he, he does. She then sees he has no students. Right. She has a kid. She sends her kid to learn from him. The kid doesn't understand why she's doing this, he's doing this, and he just learns. But the, the reason the mother did it was because she didn't want that tradition to die. Mm-hmm. That, that, that beautiful music, the, the connections, the, the way he sang the songs, right. all that stuff. And... And he always said the moment oh, the moment he loses his voice, his voice, he'll die. So end of the movie is you know, he is giving a concert. In the middle of the concert, he loses his voice, and this kid takes up the song like as if the tradition's passing on. Got it. And then he passes away, but he recognizes the moment he passes away, he sees the woman that was like like his own student. Mm-hmm. So the idea is. is the relationship between the teacher and student is so right. deeply ingrained in I many ways. It's it's that's why it's called the parampara. It's passed on from, mm-hmm. from from teacher to student, teacher to student, teacher mm-hmm. to student. Mm-hmm. It's an intimate relationship. It's, it's not for sure, and and that's a problem, right? Because you know because that's a requirement. You know that requirement worked really well. Um, you know when when it came to you know really like well. hundreds of years well it, it does work well but I think a lot of times what happens is it, it requires that physical requirement of just being there you but, know so but so, so having access to a good teacher it is it's important but that but, you know it's, it's like this right like how how well can you build a relationship with someone and learn the intricacies just by talking on the phone or being online Sure. Like being in their presence and 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 seeing how they live their lives yeah. and how they and how they love the music or love yeah. whatever art they do, right? Yeah. yeah. Is it, it's like saying, "Hey, I watch Kobe play basketball on TV," yeah. versus, "Hey, you know what? I'm gonna go learn from Kobe on the court." 
Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, yeah, but then, but then it's also like in terms of propagation. You know, if you want to propagate the music, in terms of you know scaling a music system, how do you do that when when it requires? Well, what's the know, purpose that? of that? So that's another question. Well, that is that's true. I mean, is well, the purpose the is purposes is twofold, to, right? I mean, there's basically you you want to make sure that whatever you have right now is being passed on to the next generation. So yeah. basically, just in terms of survival, right? So like, you just want to make sure that anything doesn't die. Um, but then, in terms of just kind of growing it, growing the music system, you know, there's there's a lot that can obviously be done, right? Um, just in terms of getting more musicians out there and getting a lot of more collaborations out there. Um, so so yeah. But then but then the question is, you know, why would you do want like why would you want to do that? Yeah, I mean, it's always going to come down to is. Is the purpose to bring as many people into the fold, or is it the purpose that the people that come into the fold love it? Right? It's it's it's, it's a sense of are you trying to sell records, or are mm-hmm. you trying to build a tradition that people will care about long term? I, th- I think it's just so it's it's just so dynamic in nature. Though. Well, it is. I mean, music and music is just so um, it's just so it's just so dynamic, you know. And that's why I just I just kind of go back to this thing of. You know, like music is just something that is is just so. It should be so universally loved. You know, and oh yeah, um, totally. And, and, and like you know, so that you know, when that when that uncle was 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 telling me all that, I was just like thinking, you know, why, like why do people, you know, still not think so, um, kind of you know like, in in unison, you know, towards music. So you know, you know, I'll tell you what's interesting, right? You know, like. You know what I find that I find really fascinating is most cla- people that are into classical music or classical musicians or learn classical music in our our generation, we we love even pop music or other music, right? I love listening to hip hop. I love listening to rock. I love listening to that stuff. Right. The the difference I find is, and this is what kind of I guess doesn't upset me, but it's like, why do people that only listen to one genre of music? think that that genre of music is better than everything else or don't even listen like how many people do you know will That's sit true. down will go to a uh a Karana concert just even to give it a shot yeah. or how many people will you think that will go to a hindustani concert to give it a shot they'll be like oh no that's just like old people that's for like yeah well but, but, i mean the great thing is i, th- I think all that is going to change you know because so. i'm well, much more pessimistic than you are <laughs> much more pessimistic i mean it it it, it doesn't make sense to to be so close-minded, right? Because the more open-minded you are, just in terms of business, right? Like as a musician, if you embrace more ideas, then you're going to grow, like from a from a monetary perspective as well. You I mean, know, so I it, wish it, that's the case, but it's like, just kind of I, common sense. I don't think so. I think I think what we have is you have a. I mean, nowadays music's a little different, right? You have to recognize when you talk about pop music, in many ways it's not about the music; it's about the image plus the music, right? It's like how how often do we see uh, people that don't look good be a big musician? Right. They always have to be. They have to have the look. They have to be able to sell. It's not just about music. It's about being able to sell other things. That's You're true. You're no longer about the music itself. You are now yourself a brand, as we call it today. That's true. Yeah. And and, the, and and this is where we 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 find the, I think a vast difference is. When music stops being about music and being becomes more about like, I need to sell who I am, 
not what I produce, not what's deep down to my core, right? You know, like that's what I. This is my biggest problem with pop music. There's some really good pop songs, but then, but then let's 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 talk about that, right? Because as a musician, what's what's the purpose? The the purpose is to put out, and and, and by the way, I, I love how we're talking about music so much, but neither of us is a musician, but. But, but, no, but we learned but, for but, a good part. But that of our being lives. said, you know, um, this is also like an like an outlet to talk about yeah. things like Carnatic music, right? So, um, what's the purpose, right? And, and that's what I'm saying. Is I the mean, purpose to because for me, you know, as a Rasika, right? I, I'm I'm thinking about Carnatic music in terms of how do I get more people to listen to it, and how do I? I don't care about that. What what I care about is, I just. I want the beauty of the music, you know, like, and if, and I want it to be maintained, but, it, it's, it's like, but the, you're a purist. No, right? I'm not a purist at all. Mm-hmm. I love, like, I probably listen to way more, like, I love filmy Karnak music too. I love filmy Hindustani music, right? Which you'll get filmy Karnak music. You'll have A.R. Rahman actually does a really good job of this. Right, right. A lot of his music is based on, not a lot of it, a good portion of music is based on like ragas. Right. He brings out and it's, it is beautiful, right? right? You know, like, and I appreciate that. And I, and I could see the raga here and see the raga there and I like it. Yeah, I love that it. too. Yeah. Right, but like, what I think is the core canonic music is people don't, like people might not, might know like, because he, for example, Ale Payude, right? You know, he has movie. There's a movie by Mani Ratnam, Ale Payude. Of course, yeah. Kana. Beautiful song. Yeah, you amazing. Kanada yeah. Raga, right? Kanada, yeah. It's, it's one of the most beautiful songs around, right? It's Tamil. It's an amazingly good song. But people only know that song because of it's in that movie. Right. But it's such a traditionally Tamil song. Like That's people, true. It's so deep into Tamil culture. Yeah, yeah. But, like, people don't. I mean, you you people know Yesudas, right? Because Yesudas will sing both. He, he'll bring he'll sing everything, and he's right. a, a great musician, right? He has he has some great Hindi songs, you know, like He's amazing, yeah. Oh. And then he has the you know Karnataka song, you know, one of his favorite favorite song is or the other song would be like Devagandari, right? He's got so many. He's mass appeal. He's got so much appeal, but people that go to his Film concerts only go to film con- one Karnataka, but the Karnataka people will go to film concerts, Hindustan concerts, everything else. Because for them, I think for much of us, music we've been taught music is universal, so love it for wherever you find it. You have to find a good beat here, listen to it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and we get that from hip hop, right? We go to hip hop and you see really good tracks and beats, and you're like, Oh, that's fantastic, it sounds really good. Yeah, and, and then like sometimes I'll even find myself putting dalam to it. I'm like, yeah. This is really cool, right? But <laughs> I, I'm so totally a nerd, right? But like, whatever. <laughs> but like, it just you should appreciate because the because yeah. kind of like is so technical, right? So, you know, I I love drawing analogies between between two very unrelated, you know, um, yeah. So I, I, I love, you know, drawing analogies between two just completely unrelated, you know, kind of areas of, of life. And I think, you know, in this case, music and business, you know, so in business, they always say that, you know, organic growth is always the best, right? Um, you know, in terms of SEO and in terms of just generally growing a business, it's just generally better to grow it uh, organically and when it comes to something like Carnatic music I, I think you could make the argument that 
you should grow it organically as well. And that's that's not just for Carnatic music. It's also for any sort of um, kind of like a niche, you know, art system. Um, you know, if you want to kind of kind of maintain that kind of purist, um, you know, attitude and kind of maintain that 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 culture and kind of maintain that, you know, the the correct uh, you know classification of, of all your ideas and just making sure that everything's kind of being passed down. Um, properly then then maybe you you want to make sure that you're containing the growth of that system you know so um, so yeah you know sometimes you don't want something to grow too fast that's that's what I would say and and that's kind of how I would look at um, something like Arnautic music as well I mean what's growing too fast with the 200 <laughs> 300 year old four actually it'll be 1600 I think when was or maybe 1400 I forget one of those two days so either either 400 years old or 600 years old one yeah. of the two right? so, <laughs> I mean I don't know what's going too fast in that in that time frame right um, <laughs> no but, I mean so I think this is also important thing about it, is just I mean, music itself should change and should evolve and should like go with the times but what we don't and the, and the one thing this is always a this is always a weird area is you want to preserve some of this stuff right like right. The, and, you know like so i was watching this and this is i mean it's on topic but it's a little off right like we've lost the sense of like for example we don't know anything that what they how they did music in say two thousand years ago right like the greeks how did they play music how did they how did, they had a really interesting music system but mm-hmm. we we're only starting to discover it now i mean like indian music system to some level has evolved continuously Right, it's mm-hmm. and, and whatever music system, like for example, in the Ramayana, they talk about Venus, right? You know, like right. like Ravana is known to have been like a great uh, a Venica, you know, like the, right. a, a great uh, vine, uh, Vena player. Um, so the, much of the instruments, for the most part, like violins are new invention that was brought in by Mutasami. And the Mridangam was also, I think, mentioned, right? Oh, Mridangam's mentioned. All so much, many of the instruments that were still played either in traditional villages or in classical music has been mentioned in ancient text maybe not the sarang which is a much more like a, a modern like a guitar kind of thing right you know and then the violin is not they had other kinds of instruments bowed instruments but it wasn't the same um there's a huge history about it but like the vena is interesting because it's the vena is the the so most people will most people probably don't know what vena is but they don't want sitar the sitar is a very similar instrument to a vena, but it's you you play it on your lap, holding it upright. While vena, you play it across your lap, right, holding it horizontally, right, right. So, so the vena is ancient, right? It's so old. I mean, it might have had different strings and different things back then, and I, I'm not as fully knowledgeable about it as I sh- as I want to be, but you know, whatever. But it hasn't changed that much. Right, mm-hmm. like um, our oldest texts. Some of our oldest texts from the, I guess, like tenth, eleventh century actually talk about ragas. Um, not as many ragas as we have today. Today, now we have like maybe a thousand. I don't know, some way, some way more. Which which ragas were were mentioned in the original texts? So one of the things people say is, um, so the the raga revati, right? You know, revati. Is I mean how does that go? I, I don't think it's the 
it's a different name by back then, but they think that the Samaveda, some people say it's based on Revati. You know that song? Bo Shambhu, mm-hmm. Shiva Shambhu, mm-hmm. Swayambhu. It's classic, yeah. Yeah, so that song is in Raga Revati. Interesting. So they, so many people consider <laughs> Ganga Dhar Shankara Karunakara Mamava Bhavasagara Right, so so Damn, So that's like so what they say is like Samaveda might have been somewhat connected to that raga. Is like the Samaveda so so basically if you want to get into the origins of what we consider most music in India today it would come from Samaveda. So the Rig Veda there's there's Four Vedas, right? There's Rik, Yajur, Sama, Atharva. Rik, Rik Veda, also known as Rig Veda, is much more uh, hymns. It's uh, it's very um, uh, metrical. Um, so like your Gayatri Mantra comes from there, your Purusha Sukta, Hiranagarbha Sukta, um, and Nasadiya Sukta. There's a bunch of suktas and 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 a bunch of a bunch of other hymns that come from there that you probably not might not know. You know, like there'd be like there's uh, there's one of the Shanti mantras is from there, you know. Um, but anyways, there's Rig Veda is from the hymns. Yajur Veda is more liturgical, so that's more about the actual ritual and, and the sacrifice. Um, mm-hmm. Sama Veda is uh, is the last, so it's the latest Veda, which is has some from the Rig Veda, but it includes a lot more of magic spells and potions and stuff like that. Damn. Um, and then Samaveda is is it, it pretty much a Rig Veda. You take Rig Veda and then you put it into um, like a song. So in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, Veda nam Samavedosmi. Of all the Vedas, the four Vedas, I am the Samaveda. Because it's the most beautiful to listen to. Because it's, it's, not, it's not just a chant. I, I mean, I'm not proficient in Samaveda. I don't know anything about how to chant in Samaveda or sing in Samaveda. But you can Google it and we could put a link to it. But it actually sounds like like a musical chant or, or a hymn. Rig Veda, Interesting. Is, Rig Veda is very similar. It might be like something like Hiranyagarbha Samvartata Grebhute Shishyakat Patirek Asit. So it's much more... Is that what you hear when you go to the temple? No, no. When you hear when you go to the temple, when you go to the temple, you hear more of Puranic. So when Puranic um, what I mean by Puranic is from the Puranas or Itihasas or later text. Vedic is you might hear in a sacrifice, you know, you might hear like, like you know, like I said, you know, mm-hmm. so it's it's how you chant, right? It's it's broken down into a particular what's known as a chandas. You know, it's a it's it's, it's a metrical form. So Gayatri mantra is set to its own. Um, Gayatri is his own uh, meter. You know, Om Bhur Bhur Suha Tat Savitur Vare Enyam Bhargo Devasya Dimahi Dio Yona Prachodaya Aat. So, I mean, you say it a certain way. Um, so, it's each of these things. I mean, I'm, I just know these chances. I learned them, right? But I'm not an expert. There's actually a great YouTube video that goes through this, this expert goes through how amazing it sounds. So, but. Samaveda is wait so really quickly what what makes that different like is it is it the way he's saying it no no I mean if you look at just so where do you where is the 
where's the intonation where's where's the meter is it is it like a shloka is like eight 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 uh like what is it um stanzas yeah it would be like or... you know like the the gita would be set to a shloka along with uh much of the ramayana right such a shloka format it's very easy you know it might be like a month or you know uh like for example i can give you right now um for the gita you know um Ananyans chintiyanto man, that's one. Yejana paripasate, tesham nitya vimuktavam, yoga kshemam vahamyam. So that's, it is four lines, and it is, it's total of like something like 32 syllables for each, so it's like 64 syllables total. I, I need to get, go back. Syllables, okay. That's how it breaks down, and then it breaks yeah, down. That's right, okay. So it's, it's, it's a way that you memorize things. So if you know shloka format, you know what a shloka sounds like. If you know, uh, um, so Gayatri mantra is um, Gayatri, is Anushub Chanda. Anushub is going to be a different format than than Thushub, which is a uh, three three syllables or something like that. Mm-hmm. I might have to edit all this because I told totally, I have to <laughs> rearrange this. But it's okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's based on different syllable counts. And then the meter plays out in a certain way, right? Interesting. So, okay. Very, um, very cool. Yeah. So so when they talk about, actually when you do um, what's known as uh, vinyoga, which is usually before you do uh, any sort of prayer, you do what's known as a vinyoga, which is basically you say what you're going to do. And mm-hmm. then you say, so for example, um now I, I go through Sanya but I don't know if I want to. So you, you say who the the God is mm-hmm. that is the one that is being praised, or the the chanter, and then you say what Anushub and the Chandas, right? And and then and then you say um, like uh, so. Now I'm gonna pause it now. You're gonna make me. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, like a, like I was saying, like the shloka is like it's like sixteen syllables for per line. So in it depends if it's a four pada or or two pada. Uh, uh, if it's a four pada shloka, it'll be like four 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 lines. Each line has sixteen uh, syllables, and a two pada would be two lines with sixteen syllables each. So it'd be thirty-two versus sixty-four. Um, and and, I, and when I was saying earlier about the, the vinyoga, is basically what you go through is you say the the type of the type of chandas. Gayatri is a type of chandas, and there are, there will be like a trishuba, which is another chandas, and there's uh, anushuba. You know, uh, you know, there's a bunch of different things. I gotta actually stop that. I'm gonna stop. It. Yeah. Um, so like I was saying, like it, or, its origins are Samaveda, and or mostly it's claimed, um, in which you have actually. Uh, kind of a flow like even the Mahabharata and the Ramayana talk about music and dance and they connected more to these mythological beings called Gandharvas so Gandharvas were some say the courtesans of the gods musicians of the gods whatever you want to say right so they belong to a different realm they had their own loka or universe and but they're the masters of music dance the arts so in the Mahabharata actually the funny part I mean not funny it's interesting is Arjuna when he there's a period of time, uh, I think it believe I think it's in the Vanaparva, which is in, which is known as the chapter of the forest. Arjuna goes to the realm of the Devas, Devaloka, 
and he he learns from the devas, the Gandharvas, music, dance, whatever else, and he gets cursed. In the process, he gets cursed by his, I guess, like a thousand ancestor Udvarshi, because uh, she likes him. She thinks she's hot. He's hot, and then he's like, "No, you're like the one of the progenitors, progenitors of my lineage. You're like a mother to me." She's like, "Any man that denies a woman sex." <laughs> is uh, not a man so she curses him to be a eunuch mm. and then he says to her um i accept whatever promise you want but can i choose when i can do that uh, and it can only be for one year she said fine so he later on in the story he becomes a dance teacher in the court of virata in the virata parva in the mahabharata virata is this king who has this kingdom known as matya mm-hmm. and he's uh, the king of that um and Arjuna comes in as a eunuch, and his, his name is Brahnalla, and um, and he's a dance teacher. So he's a eunuch. He doesn't have a penis, and for whatever reason, I mean, because of the curse. So he teaches them dance, and the the, the girl he teaches, the princess Uttara, becomes the wife of his son Abhimanyu, who becomes the mother of Parikshit, um, the the one who who the story originally kind of starts from so anyways um all what i'm saying is music in the in the tradition of the of the hindu tradition has been connected first to the vedas and then found its rivers of connection through the various epics mahabharata ramayana and then the puranas also talk about music and then you get down to finally the first not the first but probably the the one we have today is uh in Bharat Muni's Nat, uh, uh, Shastra, right, where it is about music, dance, and theater, and that's where he gets into ragas very briefly, and talks about what should be done on the stage and how a dancer should be, and and gets into the rasa theory and all this stuff. And there's a bunch of literature afterwards. And you know, to be honest, I have not read that much. And of it. and and which period of time is this from? So the Vedas, you know, you can say very conservative. If you look at Western, in some ways, very. Uh, biased views somewhere around like they would say Samaveda probably is somewhere around 1000 BC um, I actually think it's probably closer to two or 3000 BC somewhere around that time because I, I just think that that timeline doesn't make sense to me based on various reasons um, and then you have uh, Mahabharata which by most modern scholars is placed somewhere between um, the 5th to the first century, fifth century BCE to first century CE when it was written. Um, again, I don't know how true that, how how much I believe that or not, because I think that an entire process of dating text is not very uh, solid. Um, I think it's probably much older than that. Um, how much older? I, I have no idea. And the Ramayana is somewhere around the same time period. Really? Yeah. I thought the Ramayana was like. A lot. No, I mean, in the story, the Ramayana is set way before. <clears throat> right. But what they're saying is when these texts were were composed, right? So there's two schools of thought in the Mahabharata. One is it was composed over 600 years mm-hmm. by different people. I don't believe by that at all. Mm-hmm. I think there's two. one major scholar named Alf, Alf Hiddlebiddle. Uh, I'm not saying if it says his last name wrong, I'm wrong, I apologize. And there's a few other scholars who say actually um, that they believe that the Mahabharata text was written by either one person in one time period or a small group of people in the same time period. 
And interesting. The, the same okay. goes for Ramayana, right? Interesting, is, interesting. Uh, okay. So the, the scholars actually, have, there's people that say, like, for example, in the Ramayana, textual criticism, well, they'll, they'll say something like, so Ramayana has seven, uh, seven khandas. Khandas also means chapter. So there is uh, the first khanda is Balakanda, and then you have... Uh, uh, the next Ayodhya Khanda and they have a bunch Ayodhya of and then uh, Uttarakhanda Uttarakhanda is, is the last Khanda um, right uh, so so Uttarakhanda is last you have you also have like um, you know you have uh, what's it called um, Yudha Khanda so, uh, Khanda which is all about Sundar Hanuman Khanda, right, right. very much all about Hanuman I think it's the longest one um, I, don't, I actually don't know if it's the longest one but yeah. it's, it's considered the most beautiful one yeah that's right yeah because Hanuman is also known as both he's known Hanuman but he's also called Sundara that's right, that's, right, that's right. Yeah. But anyways, that's a tangent. Um, so a lot of textual criticism says that um, Balakanda and Uttarakanda, the two the beginning kanda and the last the last chapter and the first chapter are are not core. They're put on later. I don't believe that at all. I think it's a, I think it's organic text. I think it was written either by one person in one time period or a couple people in that time period because it's it's very very succinct. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, we can get into our mind later. So anyways, <laughs> so all these, so Bharata's, Nacha Shastra, again, these dates are, they're, they're given in a range. So right. I think Nacha Shastra is something more between 3rd century BCE to 2nd century CE. So okay. it's like a 500, 600 period of time, what they yeah. think, that it came somewhere in that time period. Right. Know? Nobody knows. Uh, it's very difficult to date these things because it's just, it's just difficult. There's, it's not connected to necessarily historical, um, yeah, positions, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, the amazing thing of the, the the amazing aspect for me when it comes to reading some of these texts is, and I don't do this very much, but when I do, it's just like I always walk away just being amazed at how deep the insight is, you know, and the Gita specifically. You know, uh-huh. I, I haven't read through the, the the entire thing, but every time I read through it, it's just it's 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 amazing how it, it talks about, you know, things like detachment or ego and, you know, this idea of, you know, going through life and, and doing things because you're just, you know, kind of walking through life and taking action. Right. Taking continuous action with. So. The, the idea of, of going to these texts and, and finding all these kind of practical ways, right, to really, um, you know, take these texts and, and, and apply the, the, the takeaways to your life. So and, we're not and kinda, I love that. We're kind of jumping into a whole new realm here. But, yeah. But, um, <laughs> that's fine. We can get and by it. the way, this is how it always is with Mukunda because our conversations go everywhere. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, the thing with like something like the Gita, and, and if you actually look at the larger Mahabharata, right, uh, Mahabharata, um, they, I mean, let's start with Mahabharata, Mahabharata first. Is It's a compendium of knowledge. So right. the author, who, again, is traditionally considered to be Vyasa, um, Vyasa means compiler, um, and he, his name is Veda Vyasa, because you know, the idea was, the Vedas at some point were one one whole, and he's the one that took it and made it into four. He compiled it into the four Vedas. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. So that's why it's called Veda Vyasa. He took the Vedas and compiled it. And he's also considered the the compiler of the Puranas and then all, and the writer of the So Mahabharata. he's actually the compiler. I mean, that's the story. <laughs> I mean, again, 
I don't know. Yeah. I, we can't say whether... Right. I mean, there's some theories that Vyasa is a lineage that people just took that name. I don't, I don't know any of these. I don't know if, what... It, I don't know what level you can find any of this stuff to be true or not, right? It's just very difficult. But anyways, tradition says that Vyasa wrote Mahabharata. And the cool part of Vyasa was this. He not only wrote it, but he was a character in it. Like, he came in right. and out of the text, right? right. So the... So... <laughs> If you start with the Mahabharata, so it starts with this king named Janameja, who is the descendant of the Pandavas, and we'll get into that in a second. But Janameja basically um, is pissed off that his father, Parikshit, was killed by a snake, uh, by a divine snake of some sort. Um, so he decides to do, his, do what's known as a Sapta Satra which is a fire sacrifice for snakes. And because he has all these other um, powerful rishis and brahmanas, he's able to do mantras that, that force every snake on the planet to to be pulled from wherever they are into this fire and burn. <laughs> so he's trying to kill every snake that exists. Yeah. So this sacrifice gets stopped by this guy named uh, Asika. And we'll, uh, Astika, we'll get into that. I mean, I don't need to get into that here. I'll get into it when I start my Mahabharata podcast. But um, what happens is Vedavyasa comes with his disciples. And Janamejaya says to Vedavyasa, oh, oh, actually, let me go. There's a step further. So Mahabharata, okay. See, this is the crazy part is, is you get lost in the story. It's a story within a story within a story. So the outermost layer of the story is this this uh, character or this person named Ugrashivas Sauti. You know, it means loud voice storyteller, right? He, he's got a loud voice. Ugrashivas is loud voice. Um, and he's telling a story in this forest called Naimisha. So this, this the sages asked him to tell a Mahabharata or the story of the Bharatas. And he tells them this. Naimisha means second. Mm-hmm. So then this forest of seconds in which this powerful storyteller name is telling the story. Mm-hmm. So there's this element where you're talking about these names mm-hmm. of the places and things they're talking about right. actually have a narrative impact of, of what it's supposed to impact us. So this is this forest, forest of seconds. So momentariness, life, life is to, to mean this is the story of life. Right. This person is telling us loudly the story of life. The next level, he's telling the story of the story of Janamejaya. So that the first story is, is Ugrashivas right. talking to the people in Naimisha. Second level, he's telling them what happens in this snake sacrifice. So Ugrashivas is also a participant in the snake sacrifice. He comes here with, with Vyasa. He comes because he's a student of Vyasa. He comes here with Vyasa and then this other guy called Shonika. You know, and so the story um, is told by Shonaka to, to um, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Vaishampaya, Vaishampaina, which is the one of the students of Vyasa, telling the story to Janameja. Janameja says to him, tell me the story of my ancestors. How did this war happen? Why Why did my father get killed? Okay. And then Janameja is told the story by Vaishampaina. So Vaishampaina is telling him, the student of Vyasa, telling him the story. And then the story starts. Interesting. And then when the story starts, you start off with like, you know, it's called the first, this book is called Adi Parva, which means the book of origins. Mm-hmm. 18 chapters, the Mahabharata is 18 chapters. Krishna ends up 
only showing up halfway in the Adi Parva. And when he shows up, he's a man. He's an adult. You don't know anything about his background. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, okay. he's like, he's like an enigma. He's just this guy that shows up somewhere. Um, <laughs> so anyways, this these texts, getting to it are... So when we talk about these texts, it, they're layered upon layered for a reason. Because our life is layered and layered. Right? Like we have this existential experience, which is out here, we're feeling everything second to second. Mm-hmm. What's happening in here is very different. So the story of Naimisha is happening out here. What we experience, the story is told to us through our senses, comes in through our senses, second to second. Our mind filters it. The story of Janamejaya with Vaishampaina. That's our mind filtering it. And then when you get to each incident, it's where your moment of existence is. How do you deal with this? the particular issue brought to the forefront? Right? So the role of Krishna the wow. role of Krishna is to be that deepest, deepest, deepest level of your of yourself. It's to say, I am the stable thing. All these things are built around me and they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And the more they get bigger, the more you're gonna lose lose that that second, that that moment of existence. Bring it back down. Which is why Krishna is called the center of the Mahabharata. Wow. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's just that's one one theory. That's my theory. I'm not saying if anyone else buys it. No one else has said it. I don't. Maybe someone else yeah. has, but this is my theory. The Mukunda Raghavan. This is one of my theories of reading the Mahabharata yeah. over and over again. Um, so, like the story is 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 really deep. Like you said, is it touches upon all these elements because it's not just about let me tell you a story and you take mess, uh, uh, some messages from it. This story is actually actually asking you to engage with it at every level of your life. Every level. Not just like, hey, I need to do the right thing. What should I do? Or, you know, hey, you know, like, um, I feel depressed. How should I feel? You know, I, I'm longing for... None of, I mean, that's part of it. Yeah. What I want you to do is every moment of your life, Yeah. these characters go through. Like, okay, I... I want to have a relationship with my wife. How do I have a relationship with my wife? And and what is that relationship? How, how what's what's the good part of it? What's the bad part of it? How do we deal with it? How do I deal with the relationship with my children? What how do I it me protect by me protecting my children in a certain way? Am I actually doing something wrong? Yeah. I mean, it, it asks all these questions, right? Like there's stories like every incident you want. There's a saying in the Mahabharata which is that which is found here is found everywhere. Wow. But that which is not found here is found nowhere. Okay. So basically it's like a complete one-on-one. Yeah. What it's saying is everything that's found out there will be found here. Right. But if it's not found here, it will be not found anywhere else. Got it. Because the idea is this, and this is why I think it's, when people tell me it's built over time, I'm, I, I don't think so. I think this was a text made by someone that thought so deeply and I don't know if it happened. What does the Mahabharata say in terms of, yeah, like reincarnations and and the ten avatars of Vishnu? So avatar theory of Vishnu is there in um, Mahabharata. Um, it becomes much more prominent in the Puranas. In Mahabharata, there is avatar of Vishnu, and it's talked about in certain areas. So the Bhagavad Gita, for example, says Vishnu is everything. Krishna is everything. So he there's this. Saying, I think it's chapter seven. Yat yat vibhuti mat satvam, Shrimad urjit ve vava, 
Tattatevavagachatvam So that that actually um that line in, in the Gita actually means um know that all that is beautiful, glorious, wonderful in this world is but a small portion or umsham uh of me. You know, so that's a, a so the the, uh, the the basically the avatar theory or the avatar concept is there in the Gita and it's actually there in the Mahabharata because it's they talk about different avatars of Vishnu avatars again Rama the story of Rama is told in uh, Mahabharata um, but it's not ten so the ten avatar is is a the dasha avatar is a much I think later concept because and it's a it's a weird it's I want to say it's weird it's a much more fixed concept that comes later so other other texts like I think Vishnu Purana Bhagavata Purana and a few others actually have Vishnu's avatar at 22 24 but they then claim his avatars are innumerable because like he says you know uh, you, you know what is it um, uh, the other line which is Paritrana Saidunam you know Vinashaya Chadushkritam Dharmasam Stapanathaya Samavami Yugigiya you know, he's basically saying whenever he starts off with um, the line where he says, um, So basically the idea is whenever the Dharma declines, and this is important, is whenever Dharma declines and righteousness, which is righteousness declining, um, and evil goes up, I will take form again. Sambhuvami, Yuge Yuge, in this form again. For the purpose, the next line is Paritranai Sadhunam, right? For the purpose, the first purpose is protecting the the pure, the, the worshipper. Vinashai Chadushkritam, to destroy the the Dushkritas, or the ones that do wrong. Dush means like evil, krita, evildoers, right? Um, and then Dharma Samsta, which is to establish Dharma. And then uh, Sambhavami Yugiya, right? So that's the entire thing that he does. Krishna's purpose is, in many ways, is, is across many, many lines, right? It's not just... So in general theory, there's, so there's three avatars of Vishnu. There's a Purna avatar, which is a full avatar. Vishnu coming down in his full self. And that is Rama, Krishna, Varaha, Narsimha, and Vamana, I think. And then um, there's a Purna avatar, uh, Ami Amsha Avatar, which is so first one's called Purna Avatar. Second one's called Amsha Avatar, which is a portion of Vishnu descends. Mm-hmm. And the other one's called Evesha Avatar, which is um Vishnu just sends himself for a purpose and then retracts that purpose. Hmm. So different beings have different different avatars. Mm-hmm. So yes, in in a longer story, yeah, you have the avatar concept is in the Mahabharata and the Bhagavad Gita. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, I mean, but the thing that, that the most important thing that comes out of all of this is for the Gita and the Mahabharata, we as individuals are are the vehicles for, for Vishnu Narayana. And that's the whole point of Gita. He says to Arjuna at one point that, you know, all this is already done. You know, I've killed all these people, all these kings and rulers and warriors on this battlefield are dead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've already killed them. Either you can be my instrument or not. Right? He tells Arjuna that like, so the, the, the overarching Bhagavad Gita, I guess, philosophy is we think we are doers. 
So we're not. We are actually either one, a product entirely of our nature. By nature, he doesn't just mean like what we're born. It's your mind, which which in Hindu philosophy, your manas. So there's there's Hindu philosophy, there's, there's a few things. Or I wouldn't say Hindu. I mean, yeah, Hindu. You have the highest level, which is hamkara, which is your inus. And then it goes to what's known as buddhi. Below hamkara is buddhi, which is your intellect. And then it goes manas, your mind. And then it goes down to your senses. So all your senses feed data into your mind. Mm-hmm. And if you're in the mind level, you just get this data and you react. Mm-hmm. So what you're supposed to use wow. is use your buddhi, viveka, your intellect, to cut down the mind. Mm-hmm. To interact with the world. So that you, it's not just your mind that is running. Because if your mind, your psychology, your psychological state, your emotional state, runs everything. Mm-hmm. Once you apply buddhi, and buddhi is not like wow. intellect, like rational mind. Right. This is the mind of when you get through meditation. <clears throat> okay. It is the mind of self-understanding. Use that to cut down your manas, your 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 active mind, and your unconscious mind also in that realm. And then, but even even that intellect is is not what you are. And then you get to your ahamkara, which is your your inus, your ego. And this this is not the ego of I'm proud. This is the ego of oh I'm making the decisions. But once you get to that level, you're actually like no, actually I'm not making the decisions. There's this entire matrix of events right. that are making these decisions, and I'm just kind of like flowing with it. Right. And the only thing this part can do when you get to that level is to start saying, actually, maybe I'm not the decision maker. Maybe I'm the guy or I'm the being that can engage in this world the way I would like to do better, to better this world. In whatever way it is, or I focus inward, and I recognize I can't control my own actions because my actions are not controllable inherently by me, right? Like I'm, I'm I can't stop my breathing hmm. in many ways. I can't stop my living. There's many things I can't do. But 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 this is where you know the the question that comes to my mind is, what would be the purpose of the ego, right? Because that's the only way you can live in the world. What was that? It's the only way you can live in the world. So that only you can live in the world? The only way you... The only way you can live You can in live and interact with the world. Well... Ego's necessary. Okay. It's necessary to be here. But if you're looking for... But it's not optimal to no, no, it's have not, a strong ego. No, no, So this is the thing. This is the important part that the Gita and a lot of the Hindu texts make is your ego is entirely important. If you want to be engaged in the world hmm. the moment you decide that i want something more outside of this world this universe that i live in ego has no place okay so for you to be an active agent in this world you have to think i'm a doer of some sort mm-hmm. but you have to be removed right you might like so the whole point krishna says is the only way you can, if you want to be in this world, engage in this world, live in this world, interact right. with this world, is to see me as the doer, Krishna as the doer, right, right. and you are the instrument for Krishna. Right. So for you, at that point, you what you become in your in your mindset is, I am still doing things, but I'm doing things because this the 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 causal chain of events. Right. And then if you want to be a uh, what's known as a, a jnana yogi, what you start recognizing is. 
all these events are not events. All these things are not things in the way I think they are. Then, then, then what are they? They're just moments, fluctuations, moments in time that are real, but they shouldn't impact me. Because if I'm looking for ultimate separation from all of this, because this is samsara, this is the world that keeps going around and around and around and around, because right. action creates consequence, action creates consequence, the moment you start saying that I'm no longer the actor, I'm just part of this process. Right. A participant. Yeah. I'm not a participant. An actor, an actor. I am an observer. Observer, okay. I'm an observer in this process. Well, you're well, you're also a participant, though. No, you're not. You're also a, a, a but part that's, of... But that's the point of the Gita. He's saying, like, you think you're participating because you feel that way. You feel that you're participating. If you want ultimate ultimate freedom you have to recognize that this participation that you feel that you're actually doing you're not actually doing it's just happening all around you you're not controlling anything then why participate at all because you have to if you want to be here if if your goal is to be involved in the world and and to say oh my god i feel bad for this person feel bad for this person or i want to do something do something you have to take that active engagement you can't be passive about it. But if, if, if everything has been decided anyways... He's not why? saying anything's decided. That's not what he said at all. He said, but all this is tell, done. But, but, doesn't, but doesn't he tell Arjuna that the war has already been fought? And What he means by this is that he is the one who's doing all of this. <laughs> okay, got it. It's, it's not that... Okay, got it. Got it's it. not that each of these people have their lives determined. Right. Like It's this there battle... There is a cause and effect that's going on. It's just that the the cause is not you. Yes, yeah, exactly. Right? That's exactly the point. That it's not <laughs> the cause is you. The effect is not you. I am the cause. Krishna is saying, I am the cause and I am the effect. All of this happening here, if you see before you, like is a, me. It's I mean, a process. That's the matrix, right? I mean, that's, that's exactly what he's. It's crazy, man. This is why Krishna says he himself is. By the way, this is this is why this stuff fascinates me, right? Because. You can think about all this stuff in a very real way. Like oh, yeah. this is, but it's but it's also like contextual. Like you need to think about it in a in a like optimistic way, right? Versus, you know, like a what is it like a like a pessimistic like oh you know like everything's already been decided. So can, why? But the thing is, you can look at it either way and still get to the same result. Right. So then, so then the, you know that then the question is why wouldn't you think about it? Then, look, and there's actually it's funny. I was writing something on Krishna today, and what he says to what he says is, if people don't recognize the truth, don't confuse their minds. If they're still acting as if the truth is there, but they don't believe it, let them live that life, right? Hmm. It's a stanza which he says it's it's in chapter three. Uh, if you get the verse 24, 25, I totally forget the uh, entire statement. But he basically says, you know, don't confuse the minds of the, the deluded. Let them live their lives. Let them do what they're going to do. You as a wise person. Well, why not impact them positively and because try to. Because the, the recognition is also from Krishna's perspective is you can't change anyone's mind. Everyone else has their own mind. You can give them information. But that's a problem. Like why spread that message? 
versus... So here's the funny part with what you end up with. the Krishna ending the Gita, Bhagavad Gita with. He doesn't say, hey, either you follow me, you go, you're going to go to hell or whatever. He says, yata ichasi, which is in Sanskrit, yata whatever, ichasi, you desire, tata kuru, you do. Hmm. Have my arguments, my position impacted you at all? If it has, make your decision. That's it. Hmm. He, he's not. He's not. He's not saying follow me, you go to hell, you know, or whatever, or don't. If you don't follow me, you go to hell. Or yeah. he's not saying that. Yeah. What he's saying is, a, it's a very simple statement, and then he ends with, "Have all your doubts been resolved?" Hmm. And Arjuna says yes, and then Arjuna picks up the bow. I'm ready to fight. So this, I mean, the Gita. The important thing is, is not a simple. And this is the beauty of Vyasa, the writer. I, do I think that this is actually how they spoke? No, it's very, very different Sanskrit than probably what they spoke at the time of Krishna. Krish, I believe Krishna existed somewhere around like 3000 BC, so I do think so. The Sanskrit they probably spoke is very different, but I don't think they use the exact words, but it's probably very similar. Hmm. And so what I think when you have this conversation is Vyasa conveying a way that Krishna said, hey man, dude, I just told you all this stuff. Does it make sense? Yeah. <laughs> well, do your thing, man. And Arjuna said, "Yeah, it makes sense. Let me let me do this battle." And 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 it's not just. I mean, the, everyone thinks the Gita ends and that's it. But yeah, in fact, there's so much more that Krishna has conversations with Arjuna about later on. It's there's another Gita called Anugita. Because Arjuna apparently is an idiot in some regards and forgets everything Krishna says to him. And then he, I can relate to that. And, then Krishna, and he says to Arjuna, Arjuna says to Krishna, and this is after the war, he's like, yeah, you know that thing you told me before? I don't remember any of it. <laughs> What'd you say? And Krishna's like, you know, what I told you in that moment was in that moment. Uh, so I'll tell you something else. He, and then like, he, he, he goes tell, all matrix on him. <laughs> he tells him something else, which is which is really fascinating. People forget that, but like so. There's that, and then and also there's uh, there's two uh, chapters in the Mahabharata called Shanti Parva, or first is Anushasan Parva, and the Shanti Parva, which is be basically Bhishma talking to Yudhishthira about dharma and what it means to be a king and how to live your life and all this stuff. And Krishna is a very big part of it. He still gives. Um, uh, somewhat of a Gita and this stuff too. Oh, but I thought he's with the Pandavas, right? He is. But Bhishma's right. at this point. So in Anushasan Parva and the Shanti Parva, this is after the war. So this is so the in, in the war books in Mahabharata start with Drona Parva. I mean Bhishma Parva, Drona Parva, and then you go with Karna Parva, Salya Parva. So these are the four war books. When these end, you get what's known as the Sri Parva, which is after the war. Well, there's actually there's a, another parva which is called um, I forget it's it's like the parva of death or the the night the the night of death, and then there's the street parva which is after the war has all been done, all the women are gathering up the bodies, and then so the interesting thing is, I mean I don't want to get into it, fine, but street parva and then it's Anushasan parva and then shanti parva, so these are the after the war. Bhishma still on the bed of arrows, lying down and about to die. He still has like three, four months. So they go to him during this time period to get knowledge. Yudhishthira wants to learn because he wants his Yudhishthira's biggest thing is I want to 
abdicate the throne because I don't want to be a king because all this death sits on my my shoulders. I feel mm-hmm. guilty about it. I am the cause of this. All these deaths sit with me. I don't want to do this. This is not right. And then everyone explained to him the only way you can actually redeem yourself is you become a good king. Otherwise, all this means nothing. So they get into a long, like a super long dialogue that lasts weeks. Damn. And it's really interesting. Really interesting stuff. Crazy, man. <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, I think it's... um. A lot of, I mean, I think we just went on a tangent here, and we're connected to music and. Because I, I think I, because I kind of lost you for like the last couple of minutes, to be honest. Okay, we can <laughs> cut that off. So, like, 